Well, good morning. So we're in week one of Tree Huggers, and I'm definitely in the right place, right? Well, I want to tell about a few moments that changed history, and the moments that changed history has the potential to change your story. I know it's changed mine. I know it's changed other people's story as well. Most likely the person that invited you to jump in this morning and listen or even watch. We believe that the, the moments show us what real love is. And we're going to be covering about 3,500 years of history over the next two weeks. I, I grew up in a religious home. My mom would take us to, to church and then she would drop us off to CCD or at CCD and then she would go grocery shopping to come pick us back up. I really think it was a time for her to get away from four kids. I really think that that's probably what it was. Being stuck in a home, I could understand that now as a parent. Here's what's so fascinating. I thought I was a really good person. I mean, I went to church. I mean, I went to church more than my mom went to church. I was there. I was a pretty good kid. I did what was told of me. I, I did what was even expected of me at school, at home, pretty much everywhere. I was pretty much a good kid. And I thought if you asked me at the end of the day, was I going to heaven? I would say, absolutely. I, I believe in God and I, and, and I attend church and I'm a pretty good kid. I mean, I even, when I score a touchdown, I make the sign of the cross. And when I go to the uh, plate to bat, I make the sign of the cross too. Like I'm a pretty decent person and I'm making sure people know that I'm a spiritual person or a religious person. Well, my dad comes to know Christ and he finds a local church right down the road from where we lived. And so my mom it takes us four kids out of CCD, begins putting us at this church and they had what was called Sunday school. And I remember walking into Mrs. Daughtry's Sunday school class, and she asked me a question whether or not I was going to heaven. And, and I was like, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I believe in God. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty religious person. I go to church. Uh, I even make the sign of the cross when I score a touchdown or go to the uh, plate to bat. I'm a pretty good guy. And then she looked at me like a grandma looks at you, almost like, are you, are you sure? Are you sure? I wish I could go back in time and change my answer based on what I know now. Maybe maybe that's you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a place where you've been second-guessed? I mean, no one likes to be second-guessed. And I feel like most of us would agree that when we get second-guessed, it's just not cool. We don't like it. But we want to talk about something so important this week that you may feel second-guessed over the next couple of weeks. You may. You may feel second-guessed, and I'm not trying to second-guess you. I'm not trying to cause doubt. If anything, I, I'm looking at this as a catalyst to a conversation you should be having with yourself, or you should be having with your spouse, or your kids, or your parents, or you should be having with your small group leader. I believe this is so, so important, because I'm going to ask a question. What do you do with the cross? Why do you believe in the cross and the empty tomb? Why do you believe it? See, we need to understand or be reminded of the importance of the cross. More, most of us, we wear crosses around our neck or we tattoo crosses on our skin. But why? Uh, if someone would ask you, hey, why do you believe what you believe? What would you say? How would you answer that question? I think for some of us, we'd be looking at texting someone who we think might have the answer. Or maybe we would shy away from answering because we just, we just don't know. Or maybe others of us were more confident in how we would answer. I think for some of us in here, this is a reason why we do or don't invite people to church. For some of us, we're not even unsure what we believe. And so why would we invite someone else on a journey that we're really not sure of? 
I want I want to I want to I want to leave you with this before we jump on to anything else. There is no Easter without Good Friday. There is no empty tomb without the cross. Some of us we think that they're two events, and they're actually not two events. It's phase one A and phase one B. It's two phases of one event. Now think of it like peanut butter and jelly. How the two just go together. Right? You have two things that go together, become one. That's really what this was. It was the death and resurrection. They go together. Why? Because Jesus predicted both would happen. Phase 1A and phase 1B. So we're going to jump right into the story. I would love for us to, to listen in on what Matthew, what he says about the events of that day. See, Matthew was a tax collector, so he was very, very detailed. And I love the detailed account that he gives about, of the biography of Jesus. And so he's writing this after the resurrection. And so when people are, are reading his stuff, man, they're all attuned to it. They, 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 they get so jazzed up that, man, I'm reading something for Matthew. Why? Because Matthew was there. He lived it. And so he's writing about it so that we could have a record of it. That is so cool. So this is what he writes. He says, after they nailed him to the cross. You know, as our community becomes more and more diverse religiously, we have Muslims and we have Jews that are living in our community. And that's great. And we have atheists that live in our community. All of that is good because it means that we're becoming really diverse. But I also want us to know that's really important that we need to know why we believe what we believe. Because, for instance, Jews, they don't, they believe that Jesus died, but they don't believe that he was the Messiah. See, they believe that the, the cross was cursed. It, it was, an, it was a, a, a place where God would curse those who would die on a cross. And they believe that no king of theirs would be cursed. For, for a Muslim, if you have a Muslim friend, I know I have my friends that are Muslim, and they, they think it's unthinkable that God would allow Jesus to be crucified. There, there's no need for someone to, to die to make humanity right with God. I mean, even some would go as far to say the crucifixion never happened. See, we believe, and we've been believing this for 2,000 years, that Jesus died in our place to make us right with God because we couldn't make ourselves right with God. We needed Jesus to do that. And that's why the cross is so, so important. So after they nailed him to the cross, the the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. It's interesting. I was reading one theologian and he said, it's so interesting that they were so captured and so focused on Jesus's clothes, just like we as American Christians are so focused on what we're going to wear to church on Easter. So interesting. I guess because we're quarantined, we really don't have to worry about that this year. A sign, he continues, a sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. And the religious leaders, they hated that. I know that's a strong word, but they could not believe that Pilate would write that. Why? Because it goes back to what they believe about the cross. They believe that no king, no Messiah of theirs would be hanging on a tree because a tree meant they were cursed by God. So two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Now they were there for their crimes, and Jesus, we're going to learn that he was there for our crimes. 
the story continues. Matthew writes, the people passing by shouted abuse. It's so fascinating that Jesus was cursed then and his name is still being used as a curse word today. Shaking their heads in mockery, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And Jesus did say that, but they misunderstood him just like he is misunderstood today. See, Jesus was saying, hey, the temple, and just maybe back up a little bit in case you're sort of new to all this. The temple was something just like the tabernacle. It was something put in place where God would dwell among his people. He would dwell in in the innermost part of that tabernacle or the temple. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm God in the flesh. I am with you. I am that new temple. And he's continued, well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. They were looking for a sign. You know what? People look for a sign today. Maybe you found yourself, you know, God, I don't know what decision to make. I'll turn left if you make this happen. I'll turn right if you make that happen. God, I'll commit my life to serving you if you just come through for me here. We all look for a sign. So here's sort of where we're going to land today. And we're going to talk about this over the next two weeks. It's this. Cross satisfies God's anger with what we do, and it demonstrates His love for us because of who we are. So the first part we're going to tackle this week, and the next part, the second part we're going to tackle next week. Man, this is something we struggle with as we think about that first part about God's anger. We struggle with that in America. I mean, we don't like when anyone gets angry, let alone God. I mean, how many of us, we see a parent yelling at their kid in the grocery store. I mean, well, first of all, most of us are like looking. We're like, we can't get our eyes off of it because it's so dramatic. We're like cheering on the kid or we're cheering on the parent and we're sort of all in it. And we ought not to be. We need to, I mean, binding our own business. But even myself, I find myself, man, it's so fascinating. But we don't like, man, we don't like it when someone goes off on other people. They, they, we struggle with that. Uh, even more so for, for many of us, we find it hard to believe that God would be angry with us because of the, maybe a mistake that we did or, or maybe something that we did wrong. I mean, none of us deserves God's anger. Yeah, maybe the, the, the criminal that committed a capital offense. Yeah, 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 we understand that, but, but us? See, anger is the right emotion in the right moment. Anger is the right emotion in the right moment. I mean, imagine the impact that we have because we've been angry before. We've been angry because of human trafficking or because kids are malnourished. We get angry about that. There's something that just, man, we don't like how that sits with us. And we're willing to do something about it. See, anger can be the right emotion in the right moment. Have you ever been responsible for a kid or, or a group of kids and then all of a sudden one of them does something pretty dumb or maybe someone does something on accident and it's going to hurt them and other kids? What do you do? You just sit by and be like, ah, oh, let them figure it out themselves. No, I think most of us would be like, if we have any sense about us, we'd be like, no, we would yell, we would scream, we would try to get their attention to keep them from doing something that would hurt them or hurt others. See, just like you as a parent, God's anger is justified. And the reason why it's justified is because of our sin. Your sin, my sin, our sin. See, our sin is something that God hates because it keeps us from living 
the life that He wants us to live. It's destructive. And sin needs to be punished. And so 1,500 years before Jesus comes on the scene, God institutes this, this sacrificial system with God's people, Israel. And there's a day set aside. And this day is called the Day of Atonement. It's found in Leviticus 16. And what God does is He shades His people from His anger when they celebrate the Day of Atonement. And here's what happens. You have a high priest, and he takes two lambs, or two goats. And he takes the two goats, and he sacrificed one. He will sacrifice one. And the blood cleanses the people. Then, he will take and lay his hands on the scapegoat, and he will confess the sins of the people. And then he will have someone take that scapegoat out in the wilderness. And here's what would happen. He would take him as far and far away as he could from the city. And then he would abandon the scapegoat so that he wouldn't get back into the city. See, Jesus is our complete sacrifice for our sins. He's the complete sacrifice. He's the sacrificial lamb. All of our sin was placed on Jesus, our past, present, and future. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Jesus died once and for all. And that's why the cross means something even today. Because you're going to sin, I'm going to sin, and we still feel the effects of the cross today. There's also, he was the sacrificial lamb because he he died in our place. So not only was he the sacrificial lamb, he was also the scapegoat. See, Jesus was abandoned by his father so that you and I wouldn't be abandoned by God the Father. This was the only time in eternity where God the Father and God the Son were separated from each other and our sin was the reason. Because God is pure, he's light, he's a source of life. Sin is stained, it's dark, it's full of death. And Jesus was willing to exchange that for you. And because of the cross, we are shielded by God's punishment for our sin. Jesus took that upon himself. See, God punished Jesus for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. God hates what we do, but he loves who we are. You might be thinking, man, my sin is not like someone else's. But look, all sin is equal than the fact that it's punishable. Sure, not all sin is equal in its effect, but all sin is equal in the fact that it's punishable. But the beautiful thing is that God is slow to anger. One of the songs, one of the lines in the songs of the Jewish people wrote that, uh, said this, the, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. See, God will either forgive you or punish you. And it's up to you which one you decide. Because Jesus was willing to be punished for you so that you could receive forgiveness from God. It's for some of us we're thinking, man, God's not going to punish, right? God's not going to punish. He'll let us slide. And we struggle with believing that what God will do. But look, any good and right judge punishes evil and doesn't pretend it didn't happen. We struggle to admit that we're not good enough. If we were good enough, Jesus would not have needed to die. I love what Paul writes. He says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
See, tree huggers, we're encouraged to accept the cross with gratitude. The effect of the cross is still at work because we still fall short of God's calling on our life. And I love what Michael Card writes. As we stand before the cross, we should feel as if we're standing upon a battlefield. The ground still wet with blood and pain, the screams, his cries of thirst should still ring our ears. And what small part of that spiritual battle we can grasp. We must hold on to it for all our lives because we were part of the reason for it. Our Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for the cross. We have no hope without the cross and the empty tomb. But Father, we recognize that the reason why we needed the cross is because we don't have it together. It is because we fall short. It is not only because we fall short of your standard, but we choose us over you all the time. Father, please help us cling to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.